Have you ever seen a time like this? I'll tell you, I haven't. We live in a time when the most powerful nation on earth is being humbled by an unseen enemy, a virus that's invisible to the naked eye and yet nonetheless deadly. It's changing our very way of life. People are practicing social distancing. They're gathering restrictions that have most of us working from home. This week in our house, Debbie repurposed a room, moved some furniture, and created a whole new office for me to work from. People who never knew what a Zoom chat was are learning to use technology to hold staff meetings and chat with their friends. And as the number of infected persons escalates, anxiety grows at the same time. I mean, how long will this last? How is the economy going to survive? What will be the long-lasting impact of this crisis? And then there are all the cancellations, right? March Madness canceled. Public worship in a church building canceled. The kids' school activities canceled. <laughs> you may say, my hair appointment is canceled. How am I going to get my hair cut, for goodness sakes? Broadway shows canceled. The PGA, the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, all canceled. People are wondering, where can I find hope when the world all around me is changing and unpredictable? So today, let's talk about that. Let's talk about finding hope in the faithfulness of God. My favorite hymn, and everybody who knows me really well has probably heard me say this, is Great is Thy Faithfulness. It moves me like no other song. It was written by Thomas Chisholm, uh, published first in 1923, almost a hundred years ago. And so today, I, I want us to use the lyrics to that great old hymn as an outline for this message. It was inspired, by the way, by a passage in Lamentations, chapter 3. Here's how that passage reads. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, the context of this passage is so relevant for where we are today. Some people today are asking, if God is good, why COVID-19? I mean, why would God allow something like this? Can you believe that's the same question the people in Jeremiah's day were asking as they stumbled over the ruins of Jerusalem? You see, for the people of Jerusalem, it was definitely crisis time. They had never experienced anything like this before. Their beloved city, had been destroyed by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. Even the temple, the special place of God's presence, had been plundered and ruined. And in addition to all that, many who were left had been reduced to virtual starvation. They had seen their loved ones die at the hands of the enemy, and the, their whole way of life had been changed. Jeremiah, the human author of the book called Lamentations, wrote in chapter 1, verse 1, oh, these words are like haunting, I think. 
How deserted lies the city. What's so full of people? Wow, that sounds like us today, doesn't it? With social distancing and gathering restrictions. But God's answer through Jeremiah as to why this had happened is found in verse 5. Here's what it says. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Wow. Now, I said last week, I do not believe this coronavirus crisis is some scourge sent on us directly by God because of our nation's sins. And I still believe what I said. Occasionally, Scripture does give us examples of nations or groups of people where God brought or allowed calamity as a direct judgment on their sin. That is very real. But most, hear me, most of the challenges we experience in this life, whether you're talking about aging or disease or war or death or plagues or, yes, highly contagious, deadly viruses, are not the direct result of sin. Please hear that. No, they are the indirect result of sin. That is, they're simply a part of living in a broken, chaotic world where human sin, going all the way back to the garden, by the way, has introduced a whole host of calamities. And you and I are still living with the results of that today. But there are two things I want you to hear. Wherever you are on the faith journey, whatever you consider your spirituality or your belief system, I want you to know these two things. Number one, this is not the world as God designed it. And second, this is not the world as God's going to leave it. Revelation 22 verse 3 envisions a day when there will no longer be any curse. Wow, I want to say hallelujah to that. Think of that. No more deadly viruses in the air. No more of the awful effects that sin set in motion. All gone. No death or mourning or crying or pain. For as Revelation 21 says, the old order of things has passed away. But friends, that day is not yet here. And it wasn't there yet for the people of Judah in Jeremiah's day as they grieved over the devastation of their lost city of Jerusalem. But in the midst of the crisis, they found hope in the faithfulness of God. And I tell you, we can too. So let's look at the three stanzas of my favorite hymn, this great old song that communicate three important aspects of God's faithfulness to us. It's hard to imagine anything more appropriate and timely, really, for, for us to remember during this coronavirus crisis than God's faithfulness. First, I want you to see God's faithfulness in His unchanging character. The first stanza says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Now theologians call that immutability. 
In other words, God does not change in his character, in who he really is. The writer in the Bible, James, in his little letter in the New Testament, puts it like this. God does not change like shifting shadows. People, on the other hand, are very different than God. Oh my goodness, we can be so fickle, can't we? Unreliable. But God is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. If we're children of God, He wants our character to reflect His character. Now, we'll never be perfect like Him, but increasingly, as we mature in Christ, our character should reflect the character of God. Secondly, we also see God's faithfulness in His creation. Would you listen to the second stanza of my favorite hymn? Oh, I love this. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Wow, I love that. And it's true. You can see God's faithfulness in the constancy of the seasons. Look at what God promised Noah after the flood had dissipated. Genesis 8 reads like this, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Wow, what a promise. Now, 2 Peter 3.10 says there will come a day when God will destroy the world, not by flood, but by fire. There will be a renovation, apparently, of the earth one day. But God says, until that time that I have designated, I will be faithful in providing a constant change of the seasons. Summer and winter, seed time. By the way, seed time means the springtime. And harvest, harvest means the fall time. So you're going to have all your seasons. I really like that. You know, a lot of people from the Northeast, where we live here, want to move to warmer climates, especially as they retire. In fact, <laughs> I say to Christians at Grace, as they age, I say, I know one thing about you. As you get older, you're either going to go to heaven or Florida. <laughs> and I get it. I honestly get it. But I kind of like our part of the country here because you can really see that God is making good on his promise, can't you? Summer and winter, seed time and harvest. The seasons come and the seasons go with regularity. It's a reminder of the faithfulness of God in creation. But oh, there's a third stanza to this song that I believe is probably the most pertinent to us in this moment. The third stanza says we see God's faithfulness to us, not in his character, not in creation, but in compassion, in compassion. 
Listen to verse 3. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. By the way, verse 3, that verse, that's my favorite verse of the hymn. And let me share with you in these minutes some reasons why that verse is my favorite, why it's so special. First, I see in that verse, and of course it's all biblical, that God promises pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Now think of that for a moment with me. Even though you and I are guilty of sin, we're going to be declared not guilty. In the Old Testament days, God said, I'm going to send a Messiah upon whom the iniquity of everyone is going to be laid. You know what? God was faithful to that promise. Jesus came and died on the cross as a substitute for us to pay the penalty that my sins and yours demanded. By the way, that's what the gospel is all about. John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ah, that's God's pardon. That's good news. That's what we're talking about here. June the 6th is the anniversary of D-Day. If that war, World War II, was the turning point of the 20th century, as many historians say it was, then the turning point of the war was definitely D-Day. Every military expert agrees on that. After nearly two years of planning, D-Day became the largest military invasion in history. 6,800 ships, 12,000 planes, 154,000 soldiers, wow. But it was costly to turn back Hitler's politics of organized insanity. Another 6,500 soldiers were wounded in that, 2,500 were killed in that. Those soldiers weren't fighting, we need to remember, for land or for oil. They were fighting for freedom. They were fighting for the dignity of humankind. And of course they were terrified. Of course they were afraid, but they were faithful. They were loyal to their promise to defend the country, and they put their lives on the line because they had a sense of duty for the country and a love for their families and a love for freedom. And through the years since then, a number of D-Day veterans have traveled back to France for these dramatic reunions and sometimes reenactments of that invasion. True story, at one of those reunions, one veteran was wearing a jacket that designated that he was a veteran of Normandy and a Frenchman approached him as he was standing there and said, as he clutched his arm, I, I, I know speak good English, but I thank you for giving me my freedom. You see, I was three years in concentration camp. You liberated me. Thank you. 2,000 years ago, 
Jesus Christ invaded this planet to take on the evil one. He was given an assignment to die in our place that we might be free from sin and death and hell. He was faithful to that assignment. He went to the cross and he took our place. He took the place, by the way, of Americans, <laughs> but more than that, of Middle Easterners, Asians, Germans, South Americans, Australians, Russians, Africans, we could go on and on. He took the place of everyone. His death was not the turning point of the century. Folks, it was the turning point of history. His faithfulness gives us freedom for eternity. And now we can rejoice that he was faithful. He promises a pardon for sin and a peace that endures. We know our sins are forgiven. We're confident when we die and stand before him, we're going to hear, not guilty, enter into the joy of your Lord. And we know all of that, not because of our personal goodness. We didn't earn that, but it's because of his faithfulness and his promise. I love what Jesus said in John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He or she has crossed over from death to life. Wow, what a promise. But he not only, not only promises pardon and peace, get this one. Oh, I like this one. He promises his presence. As the song says, thine own dear presence to cheer and to God. Now listen closely right now. When you become a Christian, a Christ follower, God cleanses your heart of sin, but he does more than that. He comes to dwell within you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now the truth is, some of you are feeling very isolated and alone in these days. Perhaps you long for a human touch, for someone just to hold your hand, someone just to smile and maybe give a word of encouragement. Perhaps you even feel abandoned and very, very lonely. The Holy Spirit can give us joy in spite of our circumstances. I've seen it over and over again. He promises, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And friend, even though you're going through the fire, God says, I will be there with you. So the presence of God does not mean the absence of problems. Some of you, oh, some of you may have gotten some really bad theology along the way. So I, please, let me say that again. The presence of God does not mean the absence of problems. God, God can be fully present. And at the very same time, we can be facing incredible challenges. For instance, when the Apostle Paul was in prison for the final time, he wrote that, that little letter we call 2 Timothy in our Bible. And he said, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But get these words. Then he adds, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. 
Well, you talk about intense challenges. His own life was teetering in the balance, but he affirmed that God was there, even in that dungeon, to give him strength. Thine own dear presence, I love the words, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today, that's the next thing I want you to notice. He promises strength for today. God promises you strength for every day as you need it. Now notice, he didn't say strength for tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow isn't here yet. Tomorrow isn't here yet. Just as God gave manna that was new every morning for the Israelites to eat as they moved through the wilderness, so he promises whatever problem you face today, you know what those are. You could probably list them right now, couldn't you? Whatever problem you face, God says, I'm going to give you strength to meet that challenge and to overcome it. I love that plaque that reads, Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen to me today that you and I can't handle together. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That's the next thing. He promises, God promises you today, hope for tomorrow. Now last week, I, I talked about how to find hope in a crisis. And by the way, if you haven't heard that message, please, please go online and check it out. I think it will greatly encourage you. Our world is floundering right now without much hope for tomorrow. The coronavirus has only added, really, to the growing list of societal problems we already had. Poverty, chemical addiction, family turmoil, and gang violence, crime, racism, disease. They're all problems that seem to have no human solution. But true Christ followers have a bright hope for tomorrow. One day, one day, friend, Jesus is going to return to this earth. He promised, I will come again, and he's going to establish righteousness and stability in this world again. And no longer, no longer, as Revelation 22 says, will there be any curse. In other words, all of those unsolvable problems are going to just melt away, and he's going to usher in perfect justice and peace. That is our blessed hope. As the writer of Hebrews puts it in chapter 6, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Now I want you to think right now about the happiest day of your life so far. Can you think of that day? Can you remember back to when that was? As good as that was, as wonderful and awesome as it was, your happiest day, hear me, is yet to be. That's right. It will be that day when in your future, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death yourself, and you will meet Jesus Christ face to face, He will embrace you and say, your sin is pardoned. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
and you will look over your shoulder, look over his shoulder, and you'll see and, and say, wow, there's my dad, there's my child, there's my loved one who passed away. And you will embrace, and you will celebrate, and you will hug, and then God will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. Is that wishful thinking? Is that just religious fantasy? Not at all. That promise comes from the faithful God who according to Titus 1 verse 2 cannot lie. It's not even in his character to lie. He can't do it. I'll stake my life on that promise because it's made by Almighty God who is great in his faithfulness to us. Well, I started this message today by saying we live in a day when the most powerful country in the world is being humbled by an unseen enemy, a virus invisible to the naked eye, but deadly nonetheless. And that is so true. But you know what? The real chaos, the real monster, the much more deadly villain is the virus of sin. It infects us, it separates us from the very life of God. Coronavirus can't hold a candle to that. And Jesus came to save us from that, the virus of sin. He gives pardon for sin and a peace that endures. And God promises you today, in the midst of the panic all around, He promises to bring you a peace that transcends all comprehension. You see, friends, our, our peace is not found in a financial portfolio that promises us a nice retirement. Our peace is not in a possession like a house that's paid for and puts a roof over our head. Our peace is not rooted in a pill, a pill that we take for anxiety and stress. And believe it or not, our peace is not even found in a place where we go, like a church sanctuary as much as we love to gather together physically in those spaces. Our peace, listen, our peace is in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we can have peace is because he's given us, as this great hymn says, pardon, pardon for sin. You ask, well, well Pastor Rex, but, but how, how, how long will this corona thing last? I don't know, <laughs> but I know this, God's mercies are going to outlast it. God's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. So are you discouraged today? Lift up your head, because God's faithfulness to you never fails. March Madness is canceled, but God's faithfulness isn't. Public worship in a church building is canceled, but God's faithfulness isn't. The kids' school's activities are canceled, but God's faithfulness isn't. You may say, my hair appointment is canceled. God's faithfulness isn't. Broadway shows, canceled. But God's faithfulness isn't. 
the PGA, the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, all canceled. But God's faithfulness isn't. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Now I invite you. I invite every one of you listening in. Let's sing this song together and praise the mighty God who is always faithful. And a peace that endureth. 